Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to the Crossroads Church Podcast. My name is Jessica, and I am your host. It's so good to be together with you. And today it is Valentine's Day. So if you are listening to this in real time or when it posts, happy Valentine's Day to you. And you might be listening to this really at any time of the year. So I hope you are having an awesome, awesome day. This weekend was different. We had our guest and friend at Crossroads, Ricky Bolden, and he shares a powerful message as we continue in our series, Love University. So here's Ricky, and he will send us out with a blessing. Remember to access your show notes to get links to all kinds of things and ways to stay connected with Crossroads Church. Here's Ricky. so far. You had a good morning so far? All right. Well, this is a good moment to get a refill if you need one. Uh, It's going to get better. We're excited this morning to have a friend of Crossroads, a friend of ours, Ricky Bolden, and Ricky will share more about his experiences, but Ricky played six years for the Cleveland Browns in the NFL in the early 30s, uh, 40s, somewhere in there. (laughs) Just kidding, just kidding. Um, we met, we met Ricky about five or six years ago, interestingly enough, in Colorado when neither of us lived in Colorado. We had come through a mutual relationship, and Ricky was speaking at a, at a kind of conference out in, in, I call it Western Colorado, but I don't know that it was West, it's kind of mid, but, um, and uh, just kind of got connected, and Ricky came up and spent some time in the New England area with us, and we just became friends, and he became part of our family, and uh, Ricky has this r- wide resume of things that he's done. Ricky, after playing in the NFL, went and uh, got lots of education and uh, received his doctorate in ministry and was pastoring, pastored churches in the D.C. area, uh, pastored in Georgia. Was it, is that right? Georgia, LaGrange, right, in Georgia, and, uh, and now is back in the D.C. area uh, doing some pretty interesting work that if you ever ask him what it is, I don't know that you could ever, like, understand it. It's just, it's very fascinating, but uh, he works with two groups of people that's very interesting. He works with the most underserved, underprivileged people in the D.C. area. They have a, a discipleship house called 859 uh, that works with those who are just working at life and overcoming the obstacles that have been put in front of them, and just one-on-one with really doing amazing work, very, uh, very, very important work. And then on the other flip side of it, works with some of the most powerful people in our nation, walks with uh, senators and congressmen and women uh, in their faith as they live it out in leadership in our country. And so you're going to enjoy this morning. Uh, Ricky will tell you how to participate well to keep it moving forward, I'm sure. So do me a favor, make welcome, make Ricky feel very welcome here at Crossroads. Ricky, come. Good morning. It is so good to be back at Crossroads. Amen. Now, now I want to tell you, when I, when I talk about coming to Crossroads, I get excited for a couple of reasons. First of all, I enjoy just being with you in this wonderful body. But second of all, we, I've not known uh, uh, Ryan for long, and I've not known his family for long, but we're like family. And let me just give you a good hint on When I say that, I never stay, I've been speaking for 35 years. I never stay at anyone's home. I like hotels. You know, I can do my own thing. If I want to go swimming, if I want to, you know, walk around, well, that's irrelevant. But anyway, I can do it. But when I come here, I stay at their home. Amen, amen. And I learn, I want to hear about the family, about what they're doing. I want to hear about ministry. And so this morning, I get up this morning, and again, I haven't played football uh, in 30 years. And, as I, and, and, and when I played football, my family never really supported me when I played. And what I mean by that is I have eight brothers and sisters. None of them saw me play in college or the NFL. Uh, my mother saw, started uh, watching me play in college, and she did come to some NFL games, but they never supported me. And so this morning, I get up, 
And all of a sudden, Micah, I hear her running downstairs, and she says, hey, are you ready? And I open the door, and Micah, will you stand up? This is what I opened my eyes to see. And I, no, stay upstairs. Then I get my stuff, I come upstairs, and then Wendy, stand up, Wendy, you have to stand up. Micah, stand up too. I look at Wendy, and I'm saying, can you, that, that had never happened to me at any time. And then I come get in the car, and Mom, would you stand up? I said, what in the world? Can you believe this? And then finally I get to church, and Ryan, you stand up. I said, this is my family. You know, I just, they don't even, they can't even realize how uh, important that was to me and how much I appreciated that. That was such a gift from Jesus. And it, it really made, I'm taking that picture, and I, I want them to take the front and the back, and I'm going to text it to all of my children and my wife and say, now this is what family looks like. <laughs> it is so good to be here. Now, I got to tell you, this has been a tough year for me uh, to come uh, to Denver because, you know, really, uh, most of you all know the drive. Amen. Help them, Lord. Help them. And you know the team that participated in inflicting the drive upon us. Amen. Help them, Lord. They're not in the playoffs. And I, amen. Well, Cleveland's not either. But anyway, I, listen, I won't ever forget. I won't ever forget that. And, and I mean, just standing on the sidelines, I was, I was standing there and I watched John Elway. And again, I played on offense, so I wasn't on the field. And I just felt helpless as John Elway dropped back. He threw the ball perfect every time. One time, I knew we had him sacked on the 20-yard line. And suddenly, he kind of he pulled around and went in the opposite direction and completed a 30-yard pass. And I'm like, no. They didn't do it one time. They didn't do it two times. They did it three times in a row to us. Can you believe that? One game from the... Hey Amen. Hey Amen. I'm going to lay hands on you in just a minute. But anyway... But so I really enjoyed it. And so, and so I, I, I get excited about coming here, but since Dan Reeves passed uh, a few months ago, I just, you know, they start playing those games over of the drive, of the fumble. I mean, and it was just horrible for me. And so you all look and say, oh, that's great. But I always say there's another person on the side of the field that really is not feeling very great. But in, so anyway, I'm excited about being here. I also wanted to tell you about a story. Can I tell you a real quick story before I get started? Come on. Amen, amen. Now, now, I hope you all are going to help me. Are you going to help me today? Now, now, let me tell you, because like I'm used to, I, I preach a lot at black churches. And black churches kind of help you out. <laughs> no, really. See, that's what amen is. Amen is like, we're going to help you up. And really, it speeds you up. And when you don't say amen, I'll slow down. One time I went to a white church, and they never said amen. I was there for eight hours preaching. <laughs> I took that same sermon and went to a black church. I was done in 20 minutes. <laughs> and so I want you to help me out a little bit. Is that all right? Yeah. Amen. So, so I got to tell you, now when I, was, when, I, when I was drafted to Cleveland, I played tight end. I was a 200 and, 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 and I was 240-pound tight end. Hey, man, it's still tight. But listen. And so when I got drafted, they projected me to be an offensive lineman, which means, you know, when they negotiated my contract, they paid me $40,000 to gain 60 pounds in three months. Amen. They should have paid me to lose it is what they should have done. But so anyway, I, so anyway, I, I switched from tight end to tackle my second year. Right in between the off-seasons, I transitioned from tight end to offensive line. And I won't ever forget the first game I played. We were playing the New York Giants. And, and, and I'm standing in the locker room, and my coach, Howard Mudd, walks up to me, and he said, Ricky, he said, uh, Cody, the, the, the starting tackle, he's not feeling well, and so you're going to have to play the game. And I said, really? And he said, I said, who am I playing against? He said, Lawrence Taylor. I said, oh, help me, Lord, help me, Lord. Help me, Lord. So, you know, so he told me, if you don't know Lawrence, Lawrence back in those days, this guy was really good. He was a killing machine. So, 
So I'm standing there thinking, I'll go into the bathroom and I'm looking in the mirror. So I start quoting Bible verses. I start saying, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I am more than a conqueror in Christ Jesus, my Lord. I'm quoting all these Bible verses. And then all of a sudden, Howard comes back in. And he said, Rick, not only are you going to be starting today, you're going to be introduced with the starting offense. And I said, what? <laughs> he said, yes. And I said, he said, this game is going to be on national television. And we're going to introduce you with the starting offense. And I said, really? He said, you're going second in line. So make sure you get in line second. I said, okay, I'll do that. So I went into the bathroom. And I got some Vaseline, and I started rubbing on my arms so that my mama back in Dallas, she could see all my big muscles, and I kind of tucked my jersey in and pulled my socks up. And so suddenly it's time to go out to get ready to go out to the game. And so here it is. We're walking down this tunnel, and this is what they do. They send the special teams and the defense out first. They will form two lines, and so when they call your name, you have to run out on the field, go in between these two lines, so that, you know, they can receive you in your introduction. So I'm sitting here number two. So the first guy, Reggie Langhorn, you should have seen this guy. He was just fancy. They said, I mean, he came over this intercom system at wide receiver number 88, Reggie Langhorn. So Reggie took out running, and he goes in between the line, and he started giving the guys low fives and high fives and low fives. And right at the end, listen what Reggie did. Reggie jumps up in the air. He spins around, and he chest bumps the guy at the end of the line. Now, I'm standing here on the other end watching this, right? And I said, Lord, I'm going to do that too. That, that, that really looked good. <laughs> so all of a sudden, over the loudspeakers, here it comes. At left tackle number 77, Ricky Bolden. So I take out running, and as soon as I get to the turf, I tripped. <laughs> and so now, now, I don't know if you've ever tripped, but when you're going down, you've got a little time to think, Lord, what in the world am I going to do? So as I was going down, I did a forward roll and jumped up and said, hey. And everybody starts laughing in the stadium, right? They're all laughing at me. And so, so I, I've got all of this excitement, and I've got uh, built up in me. So I start running, and right as I start running, I'm running so fast, I gently close my eyes. And I'm running down this line, and I'm giving high fives and, line five and low fives, and I'm screaming, yeah, and I'm going. And, and all of a sudden, I realized I wasn't hitting any more hands anymore. <laughs> so I said, man, you better stop. So I opened my eyes up and stopped. I ran to the wrong side of the field. I was standing right next to Lawrence Taylor. Can you believe that? <laughs> Lawrence looked and said, what are you doing? I said, oh, sorry, brother. And then I ran back to my side of the field. But anyway, it was the worst introduction I have ever had. Well, let's, uh, let's get going. I'm gonna, I promise you, if you will help me, we will be out of here in about 20 minutes. Amen. Is that all right? Because we do have Super... Amen, amen. I think that messed her up a little bit, didn't it? But this is Super Bowl Sunday, right? So we're going to move quickly. But you got to help me with a few amens. So let me just quickly give you an introduction. So Ryan asked me yesterday, and I didn't really answer his question because I knew that I would answer his question today. Ryan asked me, why did you leave after six years? I was the starting left tackle, and it looks like I just disappeared. And the one thing, Ryan, that happened to me was I really beat my body up on the field. Oh, I, I did. I tore it up. I mean, I, I have a pin in this shoulder. I have a plate, plate and eight screws in this leg. I dislocated the ankle. I broke this leg. Two arthroscopic knee surgeries. I broke this thumb. I broke this arm, and I broke this shoulder in six years. And so when I got ready to walk off the field, I'm like, at 60 years old, I'm going to feel that. And I better get out of here because I'm not going to break any more of my bones. And I can remember just walking off the field. But more importantly, I remember as I now reminisce on that time, just how that impacted my life, all of these breaks in my body. And so even coming here, you all are talking about this wonderful passage about the body and how the body should come together and how the body should love each other. I, I, I realized a few things about, my, about the body through all of those breaks. The first thing I, I realized is that I don't care how small or how large the, a body part is, it's valuable. I don't care. You won't know it until it's gone. I never knew 
what the fibula was like. I never knew it. I never even talked about the fibula. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, a guy rolls up the back of my leg and it snaps. And when it snaps, it totally dislocates my ankle. I never will remember, I never will forget. When the Denver Broncos, when the, in 1986, we were getting ready to play them. And I had already broken my arm. My arm just, I cracked it. In game number eight, and Marty Schottenheimer walks up to me and says, Rick, Denver's got a guy by the name of Rulon Jones. And we need you to play against him. Amen. Amen. <laughs> yeah. No, no, Rulon, and if you're young, you don't remember, but Rulon was a real good guy. And we had Carl Mecklenburg right behind him. I mean, I still remember as if it was yesterday. And so I said, okay. And so, and so if you look at this picture, you'll see, uh, you, you're going to see me standing. And we were literally playing the Denver Broncos. But if you look at my left arm, do you see it? They, this is what they did. They put a cast on my arm. And this cast went from the, top of my, from the top of my arm all the way to the bottom. And then with my fingers, they just simply had, this, they, they had these, this, this, these screws where I could move my fingers or I could move my wrist or I could move my elbow. You can just see they had this huge cast, and I played the entire game with that cast on. And what was painful, it was not playing during the game because they shot my arm up, and they really numbed my arm so that I could play. But what was painful was when the game was over and they took that cast off and the entire arm was purple. You, it was amazing that I had to literally go in and they had to reset that bone. Can you imagine that? I realized that every bone in the body is imperative. And so this series that you've been in, it is Ryan saying to you, don't you know that relationships with people are the most most important thing in this body? That's what he's saying. Don't you realize, number one, that no matter who you are, if you're here this morning, you have value. I don't care how big you are, how small you are. I don't care what you think about yourself. If you're here this morning, what this, what this text is suggesting is you have value. And there we go. Amen. That's a good one now. And I don't care how, listen, I don't care. You can be a little I or you can be a big you. You are valuable to this body. And I don't care what your issues are. You can be black. Guess what? You're valuable to this body. Or you can be white. You're valuable to this body. You can be Asian or Hispanic. Guess what? You're valuable to this body. You can be a Republican. You're valuable to this body. You can be a Democrat. You're still valuable to this body. You can be rich. You can be poor. You can be educated. You can be uneducated. But no matter who you are here this morning, you have value. Now, now, there's something else I learned about this body, breaking my body up. I also learned that we need each other. Oh, yes, we do. I didn't realize that until I broke that fibula, how important the ankle needed the fibula. The fibula is a little skinny bone. I never thought about how important that ankle, what the fibula was to the ankle until I broke it. And when I snapped that ankle, it snapped outward and it broke the skin. And let, let me tell you, we had a quarterback named Bernie Kozar. And you know what Bernie Kozar said? Oh, Rick, you can play. Get on up. And I said, Bernie, do you see the blood coming through the sock? He said, just kind of hobble. You'll be okay. I said, not me, not me. God, wait, get, bring the cart. Bring the cart. Get me out of here. But, that, but I realized how important and that we needed each other. And I want to suggest to you this morning, I am so glad, to, I'm so glad you're here this morning. Because we need each other. COVID has literally paralyzed the church. Our school systems, it's literally paralyzed the church and, and, and the students because we need each other. And the worst thing that we can have this morning is people not understanding how important it is for them to be here together with one another. We are interdependent on one another, and we have to be with one another. And so, and so when I looked, uh, I bet there's some people right now listening to this, and I want you to hear this. It's time for you to get out of your pajamas, 
and stop cooking breakfast to enjoy Pastor Ryan. Oh, this is comfortable. I'm sleeping in my easy chair. Because God never designed you to work together in your easy chair. God empowered us to be together. And God encouraged us. Now, I'm not crazy. If a person is sick and, and if a person, if they have issues, I can understand them saying, I want to be safe. But there are a whole lot of folk that should be here and they're sitting at home. It's time to return. Amen, 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 amen. You come on, you got to help me a little bit, right? You know that those at home, they're like, I don't like him very much. Well, that's okay. I'm getting ready to catch a plane and fly out of here. You can be mad as you want to be. And listen, if you have a problem with me, just text Pastor Ryan. I don't care. <laughs> but listen, let me tell you. So anyway, so anyway, we're valuable. Now, now here's the key part about the, about the body. The key part about the body is this, is that there will be breaks and fractures. There will be times that we, that, that we don't do well and, there, and there, there are injuries that will occur. God never created the body for us to get up and walk away. Can you imagine if my fibula said, Ricky, you just weigh too much. I'm not going to try to carry all that weight no more. I'm leaving. It wouldn't have worked. God intended for us to stay here and work together and work together in unity because we are interdependent upon one another. We need each other. And here's the key. That's Pastor Ryan's series that I'm going to preach on today. Now, all that was my introduction. Did y'all know that? And so... And so <laughs> And you all are not saying amen, so, I, you know, it's going to be hard to, to preach the rest of this sermon in, in 12 minutes. So y'all got to really help me if you want me to get this. Is that all right? So anyway, so anyway, so, 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 so that's why Pastor Ryan has been talking about love. So that you won't get up and walk away from relationships. Paul says, we've got to love one another. That's what he says. If we've got issues, then we love one another. It, the issue's not the problem. It's when we get up and we walk away from the body. Can you imagine an ear saying, I don't like you, Rick, and it just takes out and walks out the door. It just wouldn't look very good, would it? And so Paul is saying, you've got to love. So what I want to do in these next 12 minutes, okay? Is that cool? Okay, in the next 12 minutes, what I want to do is I want to talk about love. Now, now part of me want to preach like when I go to like the hood to preach. Amen, amen, amen. Now, now, let me tell you what I mean by that. There is a unique style in the hood that I love preaching in. And, 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 and you all may, I know you've never heard it, but like in the hood, I can say things to the audience there that I probably can't say here. Like, like, like I want to define love. You know how I want to define love here? Let me define love here. Here's, here's, here is the definition of love. It says, love is, it is our ability to give to, one, to another person without expecting anything back. Amen. Amen. Now, how many of you think that's a good, good definition of love? Amen. It is our ability to give to another person without expecting anything back. Guess how I said in the hood. Can I tell you how I said in the hood? Is that in the hood, I would say this here. Having the capacity... To love a person in the midst of their ugliness. Mm, mm, mm. Isn't that good? <laughs> it is having the capacity to love another person in the midst of their ugliness. So you don't have to be pretty when you go to the hood. You can just tell them like it is. See, listen, a lot of people act like they don't have ugliness. Oh, yeah, yeah, no, no, no. When you meet someone for the first time, you don't see ugliness. When you go out the first six months, you don't see a lot of ugliness. But if you've been in a relationship for more than a minute, you know that other person's got some ugliness. Oh, no, there's one person. There's one person that I know that really doesn't have any ugliness, and that's probably Ryan's wife, Wendy. Her children told me she has no ugliness, and Ryan said she has absolutely no ugliness. And so, but I know the rest of us do have ugliness. Amen, amen, amen. Isn't that right? But that's it. How in the world? That's what unconditional love is. How in the world do we love one another in the midst of our ugliness? See, it's, it's easy to love somebody when they look good and when it's pretty. 
It's easy to love somebody when you first go out with them. And it, I mean, you're brushing your teeth every month. You morning, you don't want them. You know, you don't want them to see you break wind or anything. And so, and so, in the midst of their prettiness, it's easy to love somebody. But it's when they get ugly, when they come home and they have an addiction. Now that's something different. When they come home and they're suffering through depression, that's their ugliness. When they come home, they don't want to talk to you. So they turn their backs on you. How do you love someone when you come to church and you know they've been talking behind your back? How do you love someone when you come to church and you know they've been gossiping? See, it's one thing to love someone when, when they're nice and it's pretty, but it's another thing to love someone in the midst of their ugliness, and this is what the Apostle Paul steps in, and he says, love is patient. Love is kind. Love doesn't keep any records of wrong. Love is not easily angered. He gives this wonderful list that says, how do I help you tolerate people in the midst of their ugliness? Some of you have come to church and you, have, you could see someone down the hall and you know they're just ugly. And so you look at them and you want to turn and go the other way because of what ugliness. Some of you are in, the, in marriages and you've encountered your spouse's ugliness. And you said, I don't want to do with this anymore. And you know when we encounter people with their ugliness, you know what we do? We leave. That's what we're telling you. If you encounter someone who believes differently than you, if you encounter someone who has a bad attitude, you know what we do? We just turn around and leave. I'm going down the street and join the next church. That's what happens. <laughs> we just leave. In our marriages, what do we do? I'm going to get a divorce because I can't tolerate the ugliness of the other person. You don't talk about your ugliness, but you can say, and in the midst of this ugliness, Paul is saying, wait a minute, you just can't walk away from relationships like that. The Father never created you to walk away from relationships. Now, I do want to put a comma there and just say, I'm not, I'm not suggesting if you're in a situation where there is physical abuse, did you stay in that foolishness? Because that has nothing to do with love. In fact, I've been negotiating a contract with Pastor Ryan. If one of these guys here puts his hand on one of the women in this church, he's going to, he's going to, we, we, I'm, I'm going to get to counsel that person. He's going to put them on, an air, on a plane, ship them to Washington, D.C., and I got about eight brothers from the hood, and we're going to lay hands on them. We're going to sit them down in a chair, and we're going to beat him down. He can come back up here. He'll be ready to love for the rest of his life. But anyway, <laughs> amen, amen, amen. I made that up. That's not true. But anyway, he would pass around wouldn't do that to you. But anyway, that's what love is. And so this is what I say about unconditional love. And you've got to catch this piece. Unconditional love can never be unconditional love until there's a condition. Oh, isn't that good? No, no, listen, listen, listen. No, 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 no. See, when we get married, we're always talking about, I'm going to love him unconditionally. We like to talk that way. But you cannot, you can never, ever uh, see unconditional love when things are going well. You all, unconditional love has to be tested. You've got to have the condition. And only until the condition comes can you really say, I'll love that person unconditionally. Let me give you an example. You can never have unconditional love Let's say a husband and wife. You test it when the affair occurs. That's when you deal with that question, unconditional love. All of a sudden, you've been married to this guy for 15 years, and now suddenly they're going to tiptoe out and see someone else. Then you get to examine yourself and say, am I willing to love them unconditionally? You see, the condition is the affair. You can never, ever have unconditional love until there is a condition. And once the condition shows up, that's the test for unconditional love. And what I want to suggest to you today is most people, they don't make it through the condition. Oh, what about this? 
you know, you, here it is, you raise these kids, and, and you know you're one of these super hyper evangelical, Jesus-loving. I've been saved for the, all my life, and I've never even thought about hell, and I've never, and then suddenly your child comes home and says, I'm a part of the LBGT community. Now you test unconditional love. That's when you test it. Because you've had a preacher preaching to you all to judge and condemn, and they've been sending these messages to you year after year after year, and now you've got this condition. That's how you test unconditional love. And what most people get stagnated in is that, is that when the condition comes, we can't make it through the condition. And there's so many of us, we can't even tolerate someone with a different political perspective. I know Republicans who can't even speak to a Democrat. I was at the National Prayer Breakfast last week, and, uh, and so some people came out and they said, Rick, could you go ask the people in the back to move up to the front? And so, you know, I had my buddy Lee, and I said, no, 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 Lee, you're going to have to go ask them. I'm not going to ask them that. I am, I'm a brother, and, you know, I'm not going to fool with him because I don't want to get frustrated. So Lee went back and he invited him. Hey, could you all move up? The president will be coming in the room in just a moment, and we want to get the front of it filled. They wouldn't do it. They're at a prep breakfast. They could not come forward because their love had conditions on it. And so what I'm trying to see, I hope you can understand today that if you're going to talk about unconditional love, you've got to, you can't just simply talk about, oh, well, unconditional love is me giving and not, return, and, not, and not expecting anything back. No, no, it's deeper than that. It is how in the world do you love somebody through their craziness? How do you not just simply love them when they're on the mountain? How do you love them when they're in the valley? How do you love them when they're at some of the lowest points of their lives? That's when you can test and understand. So let me hurry up. I got six minutes to go. I want to tell you, I want to tell you some principles. To how do we love people unconditionally? And so I want to give you some just, uh, just a few suggestions. And I'm a, can I say six, uh, two minutes each? Is that all right? Oh, no, I can take my time because y'all not even helping me. Come on, somebody. Is it okay if I just try to go? I, listen, I can't wait because, you know, there we go. Here it is. Here it is. So, how in the world do I give you principles that will help you love people unconditionally? Now, I want to suggest this too. I have not done a great job loving people unconditionally. So, you really have a very wounded guy trying to tell you what it looks like to love people unconditionally. Right? And so, I'm literally sharing to you out of my wounds. Because I have not done it well. See, we don't, we don't determine what unconditional love is on our terms. Unconditional love is dependent upon how well we love people on their terms. Right? Oh, come on, someone. Thank you, brother. Thank you. One guy, thank you. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, it's how do we love people. So let me give you a couple of principles. Here it is. So, so, so this is what I call this part here. I said that, that, that I want to give them for just a short minute. Uh, I went one page. Two, yeah, here it is right here. I want to talk about taking love to the next level. Mm, that's good, isn't it? Taking love to the next level. Now, now this is my thought. I'm, not, I'm saying that if the low point of love is a one, I'm saying the high point of love is a five. You don't want to live your Christian experience at a one. God expects us to move up the ladder. So if you're a one... You need to start praying that God will touch your heart so that you can move up at least to a two. Now, once you get to a two, you want to say, God, can you help me move to a three? And then once you get to, you just keep moving up, but you're constantly saying, how do I take love to, a next, to the next level? And so here's, I'm just going to give you three quick principles. Here is, here, here, here's the first one. I said, to take love to the next level, we must ensure that our orthodoxy collides with our orthopraxy. Oop, that was good, wasn't it? Did you get that? <laughs> Lord, that was so good. I wanted to shout on that one. That we must, we, we must ensure that our orthodoxy collides with our orthopraxy. 
See, orthodoxy is how we think, how we interpret the Scriptures, how we look at a thing theologically. Evangelicals are good with information. First thing we want to do is join a Bible study, and we want to learn all the information we can get. Where we have a problem is, is with our orthopraxy. See, orthopraxy says it's not enough to have the right orthodoxy. I must practice what I know. Amen. And, and that's one of our greatest problems is that so many people don't practice what they know. Now, I remember one time, I, you know, I didn't think, I, 10 years ago, I would have told you that that fit me so well. I did. Let me tell you, I remember I decided to leave Georgia uh, and move back to Washington, D.C. And my wife wanted our children to stay in Georgia to finish school. So I moved back to D.C., and we have this, the ministry house, 859. We have this house. It's like a four-apartment unit building that we converted. And so I decided just to stay there until my family moved up. So here it is. I go in, and I move in. Now, our, our ministry place is in the hood. Now, it's changing now because of gentrification, but, it, it, but, but 10 years ago, it was like 100% hood. There was prostitution. There was drug dealing. There was, you name it, it was there. But I was staying right in the middle of it because I, I grew up in that environment. And so I'm staying there. I'm laying. So one Saturday night, I'm laying there in the bed, and I hear all this, all this noise outside on the corner. And I'm saying, you know, what is all this noise? And so it was this woman, she was calling people, hey, come here, move over. Hey, I got something for you. And it's just this constant talking. And it's 1 o'clock in the morning, and so I'm getting frustrated. I'm like, who's out there doing all this yelling and shouting? And so I said, you know what, I just need to go put them in their place, and I need to really, really calm this stuff down. So I get up, and I walk to the door, and I peek out, and there's this girl named Lulu. Amen. Lulu's out on the corner. And I said, hey, listen, could you go down on the next corner and do that? I'm trying to sleep in here. And so everybody that know me, so she said, Rev, because we all been a pastor, right? She said, Rev, I'm out here trying to do business. I said, listen, I know, but it's 1 o'clock in the morning. Do business at 7 o'clock in, in the morning. Don't do it at, at 1 o'clock in the morning. Come back later and do business, but you need to get off this corner. And I was so frustrated. And she was determined to stay on that corner. Man, as I was walking back in the house, I said, Lord, if you just wipe Lulu off the earth, I'd be okay. <laughs> no, no, that's what I thought. So as I was saying that, I'm walking back into the place, and suddenly the Holy Spirit just hit me like a, like a ton of bricks. And he said, if I wipe Lulu off that corner, why would you be needed? I might as well take you with her. Oh, that's good. Thank you, brother. That was great timing. <laughs> I walked back into the house, and all of a sudden, I started to weep. And I said, Holy Spirit, you're right. What pride, what arrogance. And so all of a sudden, I went back in, and I'm trying to think of a strategy. How can I recover? So I go in, and we have this card table in 859. I go up, and I sit on the sidewalk. I set up this card table. And when I walked back out, I said, Lulu, have you had anything to eat? And she said, oh, no. But she, I said, are you hungry? And she said, yeah. I said, do you mind if I make you a sandwich? So she's looking at me like, you're going to probably put some poison in it. You know, she was a little nervous. <laughs> so I go back into the house, and I, and I get me a couple of paper plates, and I make these big sandwiches with bacon and tomatoes and lettuce, everything. And this, these things were huge. And I said, okay. And so then all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit convicted me and said, wait a minute. Don't serve her on paper plates. I went in and got our glass plates and put the sandwiches on. And I cut them in half. And I said, you know, let me take a couple of sodas out. And we, I set it up, and I had Lulu a chair, and I had me a chair. And I said, Lulu, would you just come over and get a bite to eat with me? And she said, yeah, Rev, I'm hungry. But she said, I can't do it for very long. She said, why? She said, I still got to make another $20. I said, I get that. I said, Lulu, would you be okay if I just gave you the $20 and you just come and sit and have the meal and you don't have to worry about what's out there? And she said, yeah, I'll do that. So she came over and sat down, and I just started asking her questions. I said, Lulu, tell me about your story. 
So she told me how, you know, how she was raised in the city, how people picked on her in school. I said, really? And I said, Lulu, if I had to ask you this deep question, I want you to think about it, but tell me the response. What was the lowest point for you in life? She said, Rev, that's a tough one. I said, tell me why. She said, because it was when my father raped me. And the Holy Spirit just nailed me in the chest. And let me tell you, I sat there and weeped with Lulu. And I grabbed her and hugged her. And I said, I am so sorry, Lulu. I just held her. And I said, Lulu, I need to first apologize for my behavior coming out of here. I said, please forgive me because I had all of these, all, I, I had all these judgments about you. And the judgments weren't right. And I said, would you, would you receive my forgiveness? And by this time, Lulu is crying too. And I, I stood up and I just hugged her and I kissed her on her forehead and on both of her cheeks. I said, if you ever need anything, Lulu, let me know. It was a defining moment in my relationship. It was a defining moment in how I saw and viewed love. It was, the, it was a, a moment that I looked at love as it is giving and it's not what you get back. It's what you give. And I got to love Lulu in a way that I've never loved anyone before. And even today, you know what? You would be shocked. You come, Ryan, I can't wait for you to come. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hook up with Lulu. But you know what Lulu's going to do when she sees me? She just runs up and dives into my arms. She said, Rev, it's so good to see you. She kisses me all on the cheeks. And I'd be telling her, wait, no, cool, Lulu, we got COVID. Now don't be doing all that now. But she does. She kisses you all on the cheeks and Rev, and she hugs me. And let me tell you, for the first moment, I understood what Paul meant when he said, love is patient. I understood it. Love is kind. Love keeps no record of wrong. For the first time, I understood it. We have to be able to say, God, we don't, it's not enough to know about love. It's this, it's this missions trip that they just took to the fireplace that says, we don't know the people, but we're going to give and not expect anything back. I'm, we can, we're going to step into their crazy, and we don't know what's going on, but we're going to love them anyway. That's what unconditional love is. That's what it is. It is stepping in the midst of someone's crazy and saying that, I don't care if you're in the valley or on the mountain, I'm going to love you anyway. And let me tell you this, crossroads, that's what Jesus is calling you to. And then listen, Lord, how much, how much time do I have right now? I'm sorry, I didn't even look at my watch. And so you all, uh, does that mean we have nine minutes left? Oh, yeah, well, you all, listen, amen. You got to be here for at least eight more minutes. Amen, amen. Do y'all mind if I finish? Do you mind if I kind of finish up a little bit? And so, and, so, and so listen, so when I say that your orthodoxy has to collide with your orthopraxy, what I'm saying is, is that it's not enough for you to come to church. You've got to start identifying people. God, who is it that you're calling me to love? It could be someone in this church that, that comes in and, and you hear about that all of a sudden they're going through a challenging time, but you choose God. That's the one your Holy Spirit is calling me to. It is you going into the grocery store and you're seeing a woman who can't pay for her food and saying, hey, put it on my credit card. It is you saying, God, I'm not going to be passive about love. I'm going to be active. It could be you going to your spouse and saying, I know we've had problems, but we're going to get this stuff together and we are not going to leave. It's unconditional love. Listen, I got to hear up because I'm looking at that during clock now. Uh, uh, anyway, but listen, uh, I hope they don't, they're not saying I, I'm 10 minutes over, but listen, that's okay. Listen, listen, I wrote this one too. Listen what I put practically. Not only do you make love practical, your orthodoxy or the practice. I wrote this down. To take love to the next level, we must acknowledge our need for growth and maturity. Oh, most people don't love people well because they have not grown spiritually. You got, you, you've caught up into this busy world. You're running around trying to gain success, gain wealth, gain everything you can, and you don't have time. But you also don't have time for spiritual growth. And what's so beautiful about this passage, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, is all throughout the passage, it's talking about spiritual growth. 
You know when Paul says, when, when Paul goes through and, and, and he's trying to convince us, oh, I speak with the tongues of men or of angels, and I have not love, I'm a noisy gong, a clinging cynical. If I have faith, I can move mountains. He said, you know, he says, I am nothing. Paul is saying, you can't stay and remain at a place of not producing anything. You've got to move to another level. You cannot just sit here and say, and accept a marriage that's not working. Go to counseling. Get some help. But don't stay there on the bottom. Don't stay a one when you can move up to a two. There must be spiritual growth. And then he says, when I was a child, I asked folk understood as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. There are 50-year-old men in this place that are still acting like five-year-olds. You ain't satisfying my need. You ain't giving me what I need. You just takers. Give me, give me, give me, give me, give me. And love doesn't take, love gives. What about what you're not doing? What about how you're messing it up? You don't speak. You come home in your mood and your attitude looking nasty and all cross-eyed and ugly. No, get yourself together. Amen, amen. I'm a bad preacher. I, I, I slipped out. I know you email Ryan. Just give him all emails. Don't send none to me. What I'm saying is that if you are serious about love, you're going to grow. Can I just tell you one more story, and then I'll just shoot out. I'll leave the last point, but can I tell you a story that happened to me? I remember when that happened with Lulu. You know what I walked away saying? I started looking at all the reason why I treated Lulu so harshly. I said, Ricky, you really demoted and devalued Lulu. Lulu had some issues and problems in her life. And you start looking down on Lulu. That's really the, the culprit. It is your arrogance. It is your pride. And you're looking down. How dare you look down upon someone that God has created with value and worth? How dare you look down upon somebody who God created in his image? How dare you when the word says good, they are fearfully and wonderfully made? How dare you look down on them? That's what he said. And this is what I asked the Lord. I said, Lord, if you don't do anything else, will you teach me how to love? That was 10 years ago. I said, would you bring people in my life and you teach me how to love? Because I said, Lord, I'm confused now. I pastor two churches. Can you imagine the crackpot that was pastoring two churches and he doesn't even know how to love folk? And it was really because I was not loved very well by my family. That's where it rooted. That, that, that's the root. I remember uh, after that happened that night with Lulu, I was already overwhelmed, cried all night. And I prayed that prayer, Lord, send someone that you can help me love. And, and, and the next morning, I woke up at about 11 o'clock. I felt real good. And I looked out my window and there was this couple from the LBGTQ community. Now, let me tell you what I that, Listen, I hope you don't mind me being honest, being real with you. I said, what in the world is going on here? <laughs> Same thing I did with Lulu. Devalue, look down. I did with them. And so this is what I asked the Lord. I said, Lord, will you teach me? Two ladies. Could you teach me how to, how to love them? unconditionally. So I went over, and so the one thing that I do, I walked over to the house, and I introduced myself. Hey, I'm Big Rick. How y'all doing? And, you know, and they don't know anything about professional football or anything. They just see me as an old man because they called me Pops. I was like, don't you call me Pops. Uh, and she said, well, you're old. I said, yeah, you got a point. But anyway, <laughs> I went out to these two, two ladies, and I didn't know what to say to them. And I said, I want to welcome you to the neighborhood. And I said, will you all do something for me? They said, what? I said, people throw trash on the ground in the inner city all the time. I said, would you? I said, every morning at 7.30, I wake up, and I walk up and down our street just to clean the street up, pick up trash. The two, listen, they, they looked at me and said, we'd love to. I said, oh, oh, Lord, I wasn't expecting that. That threw me off a little bit. And they showed up, 7.30, they were standing in their pajamas. 
I was like, you, then all you going to wear? And they, oh, no, no, this is cool. And, you know, that's just how people dress, you know. And so I said, let's go. And so, and so here it is. We start going up and down the street. And let me tell you, they did it day one, day two, day three, day four. And then they said, well, do we get the weekend off? I said, yeah, you can get the weekend off. We'll start back on Monday. And so we start going. And that's all we're doing is picking up trash. And one day, I heard them arguing. They were upstairs. And you could hear just as loud as anything. They had the windows open. Yeah, 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 yeah. It was a cat fight. I was like, oh, man. And so I opened the door just to hear. And they were arguing. And so the next morning when we went on our walk to clean the community, I said to them, I said, hey, um, if you guys are ever arguing, I don't, I said, if you don't want to tell everybody in the neighborhood your business, won't you just come across the street and talk to me? And we can try to work you through it. And so they, you know, she said, you know what, we're going to try that. I said, okay, anytime, I don't care what time of the day it is, just come across the street. So anyway, they came across the street. Four days later, they showed up at my door. And so I said, okay, so we start talking. From, and, and, and I'm telling you, it was like 7 or 8 o'clock, 11 o'clock comes. They're still in our, in, my room, in our place. And they said, so, listen, why don't we just take this up tomorrow? And I said, no, the scripture said we can't do that. And she said, what do you mean? I said, well, the Bible says don't let the sun go down upon your anger. And so we got to stay here until y'all resolve this. And so they looked at each other and said, hey, listen, this is not worth staying up all night for. So they hugged each other, and they just made up, right? Hey, they just hugged, kissed each other. I said, okay, good, good, good. So then you can go home and go to bed now. <laughs> About two weeks later, they were back, and they thanked me. But let me tell you what they did. They opened their world to me, and they trusted me. I was shocked. They, they would come over to our patio, and I would be putting, like, hot dogs and hamburgers on because they, when they came home from work, they were both hungry, and they could eat a lot. And so they would come over, and, and, and they'd say to me, hey, listen, can we just talk? And I was very honest with them. I said, listen, i got to be honest with you. Let me just be honest with you. I said, um, I grew up in a very traditional environment. I said, and I'm not proud of it, an environment called the church. And I said, you know what the church taught me to do? Taught me to hate people like you. And I said, can I apologize for that? I said, I'm so sorry. And so they start telling me about how they've been rejected at churches. And my heart just crushed. And I was, listen, I was just simply trying to listen to them, but I was apologizing and saying, I am so sorry because, you know, I said, I think that I was probably a tool because I was trained this way that not unconditional love, but to judge people. And I won't tell you, let me tell you, the greatest honor is they invited me into their world and they allowed me to stay in their world. Even today, they come into my world. And you know, I'm, let, let me be honest, I don't, I'm on a journey. I tell, I tell people all the time, don't think I've got everything figured out. No, I don't. But you know what? They love me anyway. And one of the greatest privileges that I never anticipated that I got out of the deal is how much they love, would love me. I don't have any children. I don't have any children in the Washington, D.C. area. They'll stop by and say, what's up, pops? Come on in. They'll bring me a sandwich. Hey, let's sit down and talk. See, I wasn't prepared for the way they would love me. And so you have me who didn't have a lot of love growing up. Now the people that I had this barrier between, it was an invisible barrier. They now began to reach out to me and love me in a way I've never been loved before. You see, what I'm trying to say is, is that sometimes when you're in an uncomfortable situation with love, you've got to pray and ask the Holy Spirit to empower you to grow and mature through it. You've got to ask these questions, God, what are you doing? That's what unconditional love is. Unconditional love is not this mushy, mushy, gushy, gushy stuff. No, it is that, no, no, it is when the crazy come. It is when the disagreements come. You've been able to say, God, I'm going to love them anyway. And it's been the best journey I've ever had. I had to take a different philosophy in life. And as I walk off this stage, let me tell you what that philosophy was. That means I'm not going to quit, so y'all just, you know, you might as well hang in here with me. <laughs> Listen to what my philosophy in life is. I, I read this quote by Mother Teresa. 
And this, this, this quote blessed me like I've never been blessed before. Listen to this quote. It says this. I am a little pencil in the hand of a writing God who is sending a love letter to the world. Now notice the pencil. That's all we are. We're pencils. And notice how she described the pencil. She said, I am a little pencil. Humility. Can you imagine what it's like to be a pencil in the hand of a writing God? You know what that means? That means you're not in control. It means God is in control. It means you don't have the message. It means God has the message. You're just a tool. That's it. You're just a tool that God desires to use to write the letter. And no matter where you go, you've got to deal with the question, God, I surrender. I surrender as a tool to be used by you. I don't know what you're going to throw at me today, God. I don't know what you're going to do through me, God. God, just allow me to be a faithful tool so that when you write the letter, God, they'll get it with your message. You know, right now, this wonderful song, just awesome. And it invites the Holy Spirit here because he, you know, it's a, love is a fruit of the Spirit, and he's the one who supplies the love. And so, and so, and so what this wonderful team is going to do is they're going to sing this song, Holy Spirit. They're going to invite his presence into this place. And maybe you have someone, even in this church, you know you haven't loved well. Maybe you have someone in your home, your wife or your children. You know you haven't loved them well. Maybe you have co-workers or neighbors. You know you haven't loved well. Maybe what God wants you to do is, this is a Holy Spirit, I want to be the tool. That's all. Maybe I need to go and apologize. And so listen, as I take my seat, and I know I've said that four times, but I'm, I'm on my way down now. <laughs> but as I take my seat, listen to this. We're going to have some people around, and they're going to invite you to come and to be prayed for as a tool. And this is, and this is what we, we're going to invite you to do. Just place your hands out. They're going to anoint your hands because your hands are sacred. Your hands are going to be you extending God's love to this world, you extending God's love throughout this church, you extending God's love to your family in a whole new, fresh way. They're going to just anoint your hands. Maybe it's you going to the inner city and meeting up with people that you've never been empowered to love. Maybe it's you going into maybe a different kind of space that will take you out of your comfort zone. But what I'd like for you to do is just come up and say, Jesus, these are your vessels. I am your tool. Use me to love like I've never loved before. As they sing this song, I want to invite you, just stand up on your feet. You can sing it, and then as the Holy Spirit prompts you, would you just come up and just put your hands and allow them to pray for you. Blessings to you. I hope that uh, in the midst of what everybody might ever say about Crossroads Church, and people say a lot of things about Crossroads Church, it's been my experience. But I hope that the thing that they say is that's a place where everybody's loved. Yeah. Yeah. More than anything. So we finish with a blessing every week. And uh, we ask Recky to just send us off with a word with a blessing. If you want to raise your hands and receive the blessing, it's part of our tradition here. Yeah. You don't have to if you're not comfortable doing that, no problem. But these hands that have been anointed to be filled with love in our world. Uh, so Ricky, bless us and send yes. us out. Thank you so much, brother. Father, I bless every person under the sound of my voice. Every person in this room, every person that's listening on social media, I speak blessings over their lives. And Father, I just pray that they realize that they are not just simply to receive blessings, they're also to give blessings. And so as carriers of blessings and of people that's been blessed, I pray 
that as we leave this place, we'll impact this world for you. I pray that as we leave and as we share your blessings, Jesus, there will be homes that will never be the same because of how we return. There will be workspaces that will never be the same because, Father, we know that our purpose in life is love and it is to impact people with love. I pray that this church will never be the same because of the love that exists in here. And so, Jesus, I bless us with this wonderful spirit of love that we will carry it and be takers and tools that you will use to impact all of Colorado. To you be glory, honor, and praise. In your name, amen. amen. God bless you and God keep you.